Hey, this is Pastor Brad at Garden City Church. I just wanted to say thank you for coming into this space and listening to our podcast. You know, our desire as a church is that we would learn how to love and lead like Jesus because we believe that he knows how to love people best and how to lead people best. If you'd like to know more information about who we are as a church, you can visit GardenCityBMT.com. God bless and have a great day. So we're thankful to gather together today. My name is Casey McCauley, and it's a joy to be with you. I'm a pastor over at Harvest in Riverside, and to be here at Garden City is such a treat for me. It is a blessing to see what God is doing here at your church, and really for me to be able to see it from the beginning. I've known Pastor Brad for so long. We grew up together in youth ministry, uh, serving the Lord together as pastors in training, becoming pastors together, being raised up and trained for ministry, serving together, my office being next to his for so many years, and to see really a dream and a vision come to reality. To see all of you answered prayers is just such a blessing. And so I just want to affirm what you already know to be true. The mission of this church, the calling of your pastor and of your leadership to reach people for Jesus here in this community, that God is truly at work. And so it is a joy to see you all and to be here today. Well, you can go ahead and grab your Bibles and head over to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Well, as we enter into the holiday season, it's crazy to think about. They're ready for it. Christmas is less than five weeks away. I know I just scared some of you guys, right? Some of you have been ready for it, of course. You've been listening to Christmas music since July. You got it there. Others, you know, how many of you are, you know, Christmas music starts after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, that's, uh, you guys are, that's right, it's good. But of course, Thanksgiving is this week, but we wouldn't know that because of, well, any Thanksgiving music, now would we? Thanksgiving just gets skipped oftentimes. Where are all of the Thanksgiving songs? We've got Christmas songs, but where are the Thanksgiving Songs, But this doesn't happen in my house because I have a little six-year-old girl. She's been running around earlier today, and she's been listening to Christian artist Matthew West. He has a Thanksgiving song, and it is called Gobble, Gobble, and we've been listening to it all year long. So I am ready for it. But although our culture doesn't have many Thanksgiving songs, the Bible does. And the Bible is full of songs about thanksgiving, about giving thanks unto the Lord. All throughout scripture, the people of God singing the praise of God. Now in the Psalms, there's many different types or genres of Psalms. Psalms of wisdom and instruction. Psalms of lament, which as a side note have just been so encouraging and helpful in this past season of life in difficulty. There's imprecatory psalms, which is where Israel is calling for God's judgment against their enemies. I'll let Pastor Brad handle those ones. There's messianic psalms that point us to Jesus. And of course, there are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. The psalms, they provide language for all seasons of the soul. They are songs from the soul, and they are songs for the soul. You know, we we know that scripture is breathed out by God, that it's inspired by God. But the Psalms are unique because 
They are divinely inspired words back to God. That we are singing and saying and praying back to God. It was Israel's songbook and Israel's prayer journal. And it's our prayer and our praise here today. It's our expression of thanksgiving. And the New Testament makes this connection between our singing and our giving of thanks. I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 3, and then we'll get into Psalm 145. Colossians 3, verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Today we look at a psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of praise, and it causes us to be thankful. So let's all stand together for the reading of God's word as we look at Psalm 145. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. All your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is God's word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and for your truth. That we agree with the psalmist that you are great and you are greatly to be praised. Lord, we pray that this would be the song from our hearts today and the song for our heart today. That, Lord, we would look to you and see you in all your beauty and glory and worth and leave with thankful hearts. And that, Lord, that would be the song that we sing all of our days. That you are great 
and greatly to be praised. So we love you, Lord. We worship you. We pray your blessing upon this time of Bible study. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, you may be seated. As we read this psalm, you can't help but notice the, the poetic language that David uses and this big vision of who God is. It's a psalm written by David, and of course there's 150 psalms in what's known as the Psalter, the the book of Psalms. And David wrote many of those. And here in Psalm 145, it's actually the last psalm that David wrote as we're getting to the the, close to the end of the book, of the collection. And out of all the psalms, there's actually eight psalms that's what's known as an acrostic. An acrostic is a memory device that was used to help the people of God remember and meditate on these psalms, where each verse starts with a Hebrew letter of the alphabet. So verse 1 is A, verse 2 is B, verse 3 is C, etc. And this is one of those chapters, where it's sort of like the alphabet of praise, so to speak, from A to Z. The book of Psalms, of course, is all about the praise of God. But what's interesting is that Psalm 145 is the only psalm with the title A Song of Praise. The only one out of all the psalms that's titled A Song of Praise. And as the book of Psalms is getting ready to conclude, this is a shift that's happening where the remaining six chapters in Psalms is all about ending on this high note of praise. And so David sort of starts this theme here. And so let's look at what the theme of Psalm 145 is all about. The theme is God's universal and eternal kingship. His universal and eternal kingship. And yet, at the same time, his care for creation and his provision for his people. It's praise to God for who he is and what he's done for his glory and majesty. And yet his personal presence in our lives. That God is great and his greatness is seen in his rule and reign, but his greatness is also seen in our own hearts. And so in this psalm, we see a beautiful picture of God's attributes, of who God is and how God relates to us. And we know many of God's attributes, that he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, he's ever-present, he's loving and forgiving and just and righteous, But two attributes stick out in this psalm, and they go together just beautifully. And that is God's transcendence and God's imminence. God's transcendence and his imminence. Now, I know these are sort of big theological words, so I have some definitions to come up on the screen here for you. God is transcendent. God is transcendent, which means he's separate from and exalted above his creation. As David says, God is great, right? But at the same time, God is imminent, which means he's fully present to and truly dwelling within his creation. Now, it seems that these two attributes are like opposite of one another, right? That God is so great and so amazing and so beyond our comprehension, and yet he's so near and so dear to us. But they're not opposite. They go together perfectly because of who our God is. It's like peanut butter and jelly, 
like chips and salsa, right? Like pineapple on pizza. Am I the only one? I know, that's controversial, right? This psalm brings together this, the beauty of who God is in his transcendence and in his imminence, in his greatness and in his nearness. That's who our God is. And this psalm naturally breaks up into five sections. And I want us to look at those sections and observe these two truths, God's greatness and his nearness. That we'll look at five truths about who God is and how we are to respond with thankful hearts. Now I know as Thanksgiving approaches, some of you with kids and grandkids are going to be doing some crafts and we all do the inevitable turkey hand, right? The thankful turkey hand where you trace your hand, right? And you write what you're thankful for on each finger. Well, I got five of them, so I got your turkey hand all figured out for you, okay? Five things that we can be thankful for about who God is based on this psalm. So let's first look at the beginning and opening of this chapter. Really the book ends of this psalm. It's an opening and a closing doxology and it speaks of God's greatness and our adoration. God's greatness and our adoration. Verses 1 to 3 and verse 21. David begins by saying, I will extol you. I will extol you, and he concludes by saying, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. Think about his intentionality, that his praise does not happen by accident. He is focused and intentional. This word extol, it's sort of like an old school word, right? Extol. Guys, let's extol God here today. What does that mean? It just means simply to lift high, to hold high in greatness. It's to glorify highly, to praise highly. And David calls the Lord his God and his king. And that he specifically praises God and blesses God. He adores God. But this is an interesting phrase. I will bless the Lord. I will bless your name forever and ever. Now we know what it's like for God to bless us. We know what it's like to be blessed by others and to bless others. And when we speak of that, it generally means that we are helped or strengthened in some way, right? When someone has blessed you, they have helped you or strengthened you. So what does it mean when when we bless God? Now, God doesn't need our help. God doesn't need us to bless him. Uh, By us blessing him, we certainly are improving his quality of life. He's good. God's got this, right? And so when we are blessing God, it's an expression of praise and an exclamation of adoration. It's an expression of praise and an exclamation of adoration. When we bless God, it's to acknowledge what is true about God and to express thankfulness in seeing that truth and that reality and experiencing God for all that he is. And David says that he will do this. He will bless God both every day and forever and ever. That is the perspective we should have. To bless God each and every day, live one day at a time, but also have eternity in mind where we are living for that day, forever and ever, day by day, forever and ever. You know, we live in a world of expiration dates. Things come to an end. 
And we certainly experience this with food. Now, there's two kinds of people out there. People who open up their fridge, see something that has an expiration date that just passed even a day ago, and they're like, oh, trash, right? And then there's people that open the fridge, find something way in the back, look at it, and go, oh, this expired a year ago. <laughs> and they smell, ah, it's all good, you know. We live in a world of expiration dates. And no matter what kind of person you are, it's amazing to think that our praise, God's worthiness, doesn't have an expiration date. It's forever and ever and ever. And how do we get to forever and ever? Well, day by day. There is no end to God's greatness being blessed. There is no end to God's greatness being blessed and his greatness being searched. What an amazing thing that David says. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. God is worthy of blessing and honor and all praise for eternity. And that's why it takes us all of eternity for us to search out the unsearchable greatness of God. And so as we see of God's transcendence, that he's great, but also that he calls us to praise him, we see this truth as this psalm begins. That God is infinite, and yet he is intimate. That we can't know him fully, our minds can't even fully comprehend or grasp his greatness. It's unsearchable, but we can know him truly. And we rest in that truth. That he is God, he is the king, he is great, and so we extol and praise him. And as the psalm concludes, the last verse, let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Next, we see as the psalm continues, verses 4 to 7, we see God's work and our meditation. God's works and our meditation. That God's greatness is seen in who he is, but it's also seen in what he does. And here are actions of God that are described as, I love this language, mighty acts, the splendor of his majesty, wondrous works, awesome deeds, his greatness, abundant goodness, and righteousness. What amazing works of God. And that God is to be shared in each generation. One generation shall commend your works to another. This is true in our families, from parents and grandparents down to children. This is true in our faith families of the church passing on the gospel torch to the next generation, we must tell the next generation about the word of God and about the works of God. We must. We must do it. We may not be able to see it until the future or ultimately in heaven, but think about what your family will look like. Think about what your community will look like as you commend the works of God from one generation to another. To have a Jesus legacy. That this church, Garden City, it exists because one generation was faithful to pass on the gospel to the next generation. And what can God do through this church and through our families in this community? We pass on the works of God, both in scripture, the testimony of scripture, 
and God's personal works in our lives, our own personal testimonies in the way that God has uniquely met each and every one of us. And so as we meditate on God's work, we're reminded of this truth, that God's faithfulness in the past causes us to trust in the present and for the future. That God is faithful in the past, he's been faithful to every previous generation, and God is going to continue to do so. And so like the psalmist, we declare, we meditate, we sing aloud of his works, we respond. In verses 8 and 9, now the psalmist moves from what God does to back again to who God is, and we see God's character and our recognition. Verses 8 and 9, God's character and our recognition of him. God does what he does, all that we just read, the works of God, because of the God that he is. Again, God does what he does because of the God that he is. That his actions are a reflection of his character. And so the psalmist reflects on the works of God and now leads him to focus and to meditate and to recognize just who this God is. Now we have a little pop quiz here. If you were to answer the following question, what is the first thing that comes to mind? God is blank. God is blank. What comes to mind? I'm hoping that many of these attributes that we know to be true of God come to mind. And they're all right. I mean, they're all right answers unless you're a heretic, right? So they're they're all right answers. And so, but what comes to mind here in the psalmist as he is thinking about who God is? Well, Verse 8 and 9 tell us and give us sort of insight into the mind of the psalmist and into the heart of God. Who God is, his character. In fact, verse 8 is one of the most well-known descriptions of God in the Bible. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. This verse is based on one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 to 7. And you can write that down and read it at another time. Consider the Exodus story for a minute, what verse 8 is based on. It's the story of a God who is making himself known. A God who is proclaiming his own name. Think about it. He appears to Moses in a burning bush. And Moses says, hey, if I go to the people and tell them that you sent me, who should I say sent me? What's his name? And he says, Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. God makes himself known to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And Pharaoh responds and says, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? God makes himself known to Israel. He delivers them from Egypt, the Red Sea crossing. He provides for them. He gives the law to them, the Ten Commandments. He makes himself known to Israel. But they take a turn. They break God's commands. They murmur and complain. They break their covenant with God, and they go and they worship a false god, a golden calf. And this leads Moses to cry out in Exodus chapter 33, God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. And how does God answer that prayer? He comes and he proclaims his own name. 
He proclaims his own name. The glory of God is seen in the proclamation of his name. God makes himself known. And we read it here in Exodus chapter 34. Verse 5 says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Get this. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. Notice it's the Lord proclaiming the Lord himself. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty. This verse right here, Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. What I mean by that is all the other writers of Scripture reference this verse more than any other verse. Once you see it in there, in the Scriptures, you can't unsee it. Like when we read Psalm 145 and we come to verse 8, he's quoting this verse directly. So David is thinking about the works of God, and he comes back to this great scene in Exodus 34. Oh, he's the God who makes himself known. He's the God who delivers his people. He's the God who sends his people into the land of promise. He's the God who provides. He is the Lord, the one who is gracious and merciful. When God's people think of who God is, this is what comes to mind. That God is gracious. He gives us what we don't deserve. That he's merciful. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. That God is slow to anger. Aren't you thankful God doesn't have temper tantrums, right, like we do? Start throwing planets around and stuff? I don't know. He's abounding in steadfast love. That God is love, and he loves you. And then as verse 9 says, he is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. And so our response is that we receive this truth about God. We humbly accept it and believe it and take God at his word. We give thanks for who he is. And it causes us to be thankful no matter what situation or, situation or circumstance that we are in, whatever season we are in. Because the character and the nature of God doesn't change despite our changing situations. And that reminds me of how we are to think about these truths. It was A.W. Tozer who said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And as we look at scripture and as we look at verse 8, it's a model for us in every season and circumstance to remember the Lord and who he is and what he does. Let's move along in verses 10 to 13. We now come to David speaking about God's kingdom and our declaration. God's kingdom and our declaration. Four times he references the kingdom here. Now this is interesting because David, he's calling upon God as king. I will extol you, my God and king, he says. But David himself is king. Here is the king of Israel saying, no, he is the true king. He's the king of the universe. And that he has glory and power and glorious splendor and an everlasting kingdom, he says. David's role as king was ultimately pointing to the true and greater king. And how important is this for us? That our lives point to the Lord. 
that as parents, we point to God's authority and to God's affection. As husbands and wives, our marriages point to what they are designed to illustrate, Christ's love for his church. As bosses or employees, we point to the fact that God is in charge. As members of the body of Christ, we point to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. And we see that David's role as king is ultimately fulfilled in our true and eternal king, Jesus Christ. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And in this truth, we see God's greatness and his nearness again. That God is king over all of the earth, and yet he's also king of his chosen people in particular. That God is not a distant king ruling from afar. He rules and reigns from heaven, and yet he rules in our hearts. And this changes everything. David says he's my king. He's your king. And so I ask, do you know God personally? It's one thing to know God as creator in general, and it's another thing to know God as someone who's making you a new creation in Christ. It's one thing to know that he is king, but that you have no interaction with him. You're blocked by guards or the castle walls. It's another thing to be a child of the king, isn't it? And for the Christian, we have that relationship. To be children of the king As Pastor Tim Keller has said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that kind of access. And if you don't know God in this way, if you don't have a personal relationship with God here today, the scripture says today is the day of salvation and you can call on the name of the Lord and be saved by turning from your sins and by trusting in what Jesus has lovingly done for you. And I know the leadership of this church would love to meet with you after service to discuss what that looks like and to be able to pray with you together. And so as children of the king, we are called to declare this good news of his kingdom. It's our rightful response, our decoration. And really we see that thanksgiving is expressed through speaking and through sharing. To praise God and to tell others that a thankful heart can't help but express itself. To speak to the Lord in prayer and seek praise and to share the good news of Jesus with others. And so we speak, as the psalmist does in this section, of the glory of his kingdom. We tell of his power. We make known his mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of his kingdom and dominion throughout all generations. We declare the king. And finally, in this last portion of the psalm, we come to verses 13 to 20, which speaks of God's provision in our reception. God's provision in our reception. This speaks of how God provides and how we must be receptive of his provision. Verse 15 says that the eyes of all look to you. And we must look to the Lord for all that we need. And this is true in every situation, in every circumstance, in every season that we look to the Lord. And no matter where we are at, the Lord meets us in that moment. One of my favorite quotes is by Jerry Bridges. And he says this, Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. 
good days, bad days, everything in between. We can boldly approach the throne of grace, Hebrews 4 says, to find mercy and help in our time of need. That God meets us there. Do you realize today, church family, that you can always go to God because he is always with you? That he is more willing to give than we are even willing to ask. That God always gives us what we need. It may not be what we want at the moment, but he gives us what we need, right? From an eternal perspective where God is working all things for good and making us become more like Jesus, he provides what is best for us. Look at these verses in this section. Verse 14, that God gives help for the falling. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. This is beautiful language. To those who are falling, he holds. And to those who have fallen, he lifts up again. If you feel like you're falling, remember that God is holding you. John 10 says that Jesus is our shepherd and we are in his hands. And we are safe and secure in the nail-pierced hands of our shepherd. Verses 15 to 16 speaks of God's provision of food and due season and the satisfaction that God provides, that he meets our daily needs through our daily bread. But he also meets our deepest needs and satisfies us because he is the bread of life. Verses 18 to 19 speak of how God answers for the calling, for those who call upon him. We started the psalm off by seeing that God's greatness is unsearchable. And now we read in verse 18 that God is near to all who call on him in truth. There it is again. God's greatness and God's nearness together. And God's greatness does not make him unapproachable. Rather, because he is so great, we can approach him with confidence and with acceptance. Because that's who God is. And finally, verse 20 speaks of how all of humanity must choose how they will respond to God's greatness. Will it be to humbly respond and to receive his greatness with thanksgiving, or to reject God's greatness and to pursue wickedness instead? That he preserves all who love him, verse 20 says, but all the wicked he will destroy. God is both loving and just. It's who he is. And this is seen in the cross of Christ where God displays his love and justice. God's love is displayed and extended that God so loved the world that he gave. That God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And at the same time, our sins aren't just swept under the rug. They are paid for and bought and purchased and placed upon Jesus' shoulders where our sin is transferred to him and his righteousness is transferred to us so we can stand before God as being holy and pure and innocent and his justice is executed and his wrath is absorbed. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. Love and justice coming together in the cross of Christ. And we must choose how to respond, to embrace him by faith and be saved or to reject him and receive the judgment for our own sins. And of course, the rightful response is to embrace the Lord. To look to, Jesus say, to look to Jesus and say, Lord, save me. Lord, I believe. I trust in you. 
to see him in all of his greatness and glory and his rule over all of the world and of your life. As we think about this psalm as a whole, we can see that it's all-encompassing. 17 times David uses the word all in this psalm. 17 times. That God's greatness is all-consuming. And so we give him all of our praise. To look at our outline again and to consider this, we give God our praise for all of our days, from all generations, in all places, for all people, and through all circumstances. God is worthy of all. And so you today have this opportunity to draw near to God and to see him in his greatness and to respond with thanksgiving. And not to save it for just this Thursday coming up, but every day. As David says, day by day, forever and ever. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and bless your name forever and ever. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Amen? Amen. As we continue our worship and head into a time of communion, we are going to remember that Jesus tells us to express our thanksgiving by remembering. By looking to Jesus, the one whom this psalm is ultimately speaking about. Speaking of God's greatness and his works and his character and his kingdom and his provision. So Jesus told us to take bread and to take a cup and to partake of it. To remember his sacrifice, his broken body and his shed blood. And we give thanks and we remember. Church family, today would you remember your Savior? Would you remember Jesus for all that he has done for you? And to take a moment and to see this psalm, Psalm 145, I can't help but, but see how it's speaking of Jesus in the greatest sense. God's greatness and God's nearness coming together. That God's greatness is seen in the person and the work of Jesus. The word made flesh who dwelt among us. His transcendence and his imminence, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. We see this in what Jesus has done for us, and we respond by faith. I think of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15 where it describes the Lord's gift to us. Just a simple verse, speaking in context about the generosity of the church and, and working together, and that that generosity reflects the generosity of God. And the verse simply reads, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Again, God's greatness and nearness come together. It's a gift. We get it. We receive it, we open it, we enjoy it, and yet it's inexpressible. That it's beyond our comprehension. That God gives us a peace that surpasses understanding. A love beyond comprehension. That he's great and greatly to be praised and his greatness is 
unsearchable. And so we bless his name forever and ever. And we do that as we partake in communion together to remember the broken body of our Lord and his shed blood. So during this song, we want to invite you to come forward to receive the elements. You can walk forward during this song and take the elements back to your seat and meditate upon these truths during this song. And when the song concludes, we will come and pray together in unity as we remember our Lord and Savior. So let's worship together.